If you're able, would you remain standing for the reading of God's Word? I'm going to be reading from 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 28, and reading through chapter 3, verse 3. First John chapter 2, starting at verse 28, this is the word of our Lord. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold what what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in him, purifies himself, just as he is pure. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that you are a God who speaks. We thank you for your word, and we pray that you speak to us through it. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As Christians, we live according to our identity as children of God. God, in His abundant mercy, adopts us to be His children the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what John teaches us today in our passage, that we are children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to spend the bulk of our time today as we consider what John says. And as we prepare for that... Let's take just a moment to look at where we've been in our study of 1 John and where we are going, at least through chapter 3, so that we can get our bearing as to how this teaching that we're children of God fits with what John is saying in the whole book. The time and again, as we have gone through this book, we, we see that getting Jesus right is the most important thing for John in this book. We see that he starts right off the bat in verses 1 through 5 in the prologue, saying that if you don't get Jesus right, you're in trouble. That's where we need to start. Who is Jesus and what he has done? And because of who he is and what he's done for us, and our identity in Christ, we are to walk in the light in verses one, uh, verses 5 through Chapter 2, verse 2. And we are to walk in the light because the God we serve is light himself. We see that in chapter 1, verse 5. And if we walk in the light, there are some things we will do and there are some things we won't do. And we see that in verses 6 of chapter 1 through 2 of chapter 2, where John gives us a bunch of if-then statements. Now, if you you do this, then if if you are Christian, you're going to do that. And if you're, if you're not a Christian, you're, not, you're going to do this other thing as descriptions of walking the light. And he finishes that by saying, as a believer, we have Jesus Christ standing before God in interceding for us for the forgiveness of our sins every moment of every day. 
And then he tells us that in order to walk in the light, the Lord gave us a new commandment that is actually an old commandment. And that commandment is going to help us know that we know Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 3, John says, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And he develops that all the way through chapter, chapter 2, verse 17. He gives us a test of obedience in chapter 2. He gives a test of love in chapter 2 to make sure that we know that we know Jesus. And after he had been going for a while, he digresses in chapter 2, verse 12 through, 7, 12 through 14, where he encourages the church as being those who belong to Jesus. The true believer is secure in God's hands as he addresses these three groups in verses 12 through 14. And then he finishes this section with this warning against loving the world in verses 15 through 17. For the last two weeks, we've been looking at verses um, uh, at the end of chapter 2, where John teaches us about the Antichrists and how we need to test all things by what they believe concerning Jesus Christ. And again, John says, get Jesus right. And that's the most important thing for us to do, is to get Jesus right. That's where we've been. That brings us to verse 28 of chapter 2. Here in chapter 3, John shifts his focus and starts teaching on this idea of being a child of God. This is going to dominate chapter 3, starting with our verse today in verse 28 of chapter 2. And he teaches us that there is only two families on earth. It's the family of God and the family of Satan. And he does that explicitly in verse 10 of chapter 3, where he says, In this the children of God and the children of the evil of the, of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. And in saying that, he revisits the test of love in verses 11 through 18 by saying, telling us, if you're truly a children of God, you're going to love the brethren. And he revisits Christian assurance in verses 19 through 24, saying, hey, if you're a child of God, your assurance is in Christ. Today we're going to consider the verses that we read in verses 28 through 3, 3. And we're going to focus on this idea of being a child of God. That if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a child of God. I want you to notice how chapter 3 begins with the word behold. Pay attention, that's what John is saying. John is about to tell us something spectacular. And he wants us to pay attention. This is not just a common word for see. He wants us to stop everything that we're doing Focus on what he's going to, to, to say. I don't know if you have kids, you ever say, I want you to look at my eyeballs. That's what John is saying to us as he begins chapter 3. Pay attention. What's coming next It's great, and you, you need to pay attention. Take heed, behold, so that you can rejoice in it. So listen closely to what he says, because it is the greatest news for the Christian and the thing that John wants us to notice, the thing that John wants us to fix our eyes upon, the thing that John wants us to stare into is the kind of love that the Father has given to us. It's the kind of love that adopts us. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. God knows His love for us. God shows His love for us 
in that he has adopted us to be his own children. And that has to be something that strikes you with great excitement, that God loves you to the point that he adopted you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, to be his own child. Why would God do that? Why would God adopt me? Why would God adopt you? There was nothing desirable in us. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3, just for a moment. Keep your finger there in John chapter 3. And look at uh, Romans 3 as God describes us. He's not describing somebody evil out there. He's not describing you know, Hitler or whatever name you want to put to the worst person you can think. He's describing us apart from Jesus Christ. These, this is the pool of people that God decided to adopt. Look at uh, verse 9 of chapter 3 of Romans 3. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin, as it is written. And then Paul's going to quote a bunch of Old Testament passages that prove that both the Jews and the Gentiles, that is the entire world population of humans, are under sin. And he says this, this is you, this is me apart from Christ. Don't think of somebody else. Don't think of the person next to you, in front of you, behind you. This is a description of you, this is a description of me apart from Jesus Christ. When Paul says this, there's no none righteous, no, not one. That's you, that's me. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the pool of people that God looked into and decided to adopt some. Why would he do that? There's nothing desirable in us that God would attract God to adopt us. At the time he started working in us, Romans 5 tells us that we were in enmity with him. We weren't neutral. We weren't just sitting there, no, ah, maybe I'll go this way or that way. No, we were in active enmity against God, Romans 5, 9 tells us. We are pursuing what was against God, and yet God adopted us, chose to adopt us. You know, often in our minds, when we think of adoption, there's always a matter of worthiness in adoption. We look at a child and choose to adopt that child for some reason that is sufficient for us. The child's cuteness. A need we can meet for the child. A need that the child can meet for him, for us. We see something in him or her that causes us to want to adopt that child. But there was nothing to be seen in us, and that is the beauty of God's love for us. Because since there was nothing that attracted God to us, and yet He still adopted us, there's nothing that's going to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. So why did God adopt us? 
If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, why did God adopt you? Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1, verses 11 and 12. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Why did He adopt you? Well, the first reason He gives us because he wanted to. That's it. He wanted to. And the second reason he says is that he, it brought praise to him. Somehow, adopting an unworthy person like you and me brought praise to God, declared his glory. He was happy to do that. He, got, he brought God joy to adopt you. Can you imagine that? God, it brought God joy to adopt me. Now, we may be getting ahead of ourselves because we haven't even defined what adoption is. So let us ask ourselves, what is adoption? I think our catechism, our shorter catechism, helps us answer this question. Uh, it's a good summary of what the Bible teaches. In question 34 of the shorter catechism, uh, the question answers this. It says, adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we're received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. We are adopted, we become part of God's family. And with that goes everything that it means to be part of God's family. And the Bible teaches this throughout. Listen carefully to three passages. Um, I'm not going to ask you to turn, you can if you want to. I prefer that you pay close attention to what I'm going to say here from these three passages that teaches that God adopts us as children into his family. In Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, Paul says this, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Adoptions as sons. Paul's not being sexist here. Paul's not trying to, he's not using the inclusive word necessarily. It's not proper to translate this as children. Now John, in 1 John, says that we are children of God. And he uses the proper word for children. But Paul in Ephesians 1 and in Galatians 4, that we're going to look in a second, and in Romans 8, used the word sons. And that's important. Because in first century world, a woman cannot be adopted. A woman cannot receive the privileges of adoption. And Paul is not forgetting about the women here. He's saying, even you, this is how revolutionary the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of God is. That not only are the men receiving the benefits of being sons of God, the women are also receiving the benefits of being sons of God. You and I, male and female, are adopted as sons. That is, with all the privileges of heirs, legal privileges of being heirs of God, uh, uh, able to receive an inheritance, an eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ. In Galatians 4, verses 4 through 6, the Apostle Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, 
God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your Father, into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Our God adopted us, and that is such an intimate thing He's done for us that allows us to crawl onto His lap, as it were, and call Him Abba, which is the endearing term for Father. Uh, perhaps even uh, we could say uh, equivalent to the English Daddy. Um, we can, that's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's the kind of condescending that has come to us, that we can be His to the point where we can address Him in intimate terms. In Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, the Apostle Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. So the spirit of adoption, being adopted by Jesus Christ through the work of the Spirit, is the contrary of fear. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. God the Father gave all things to the Son. And in adopting us, he says that you are heirs with my son of all things. You who do not seek me. You who are not righteous. You whose mouths are like open sepulchers. You whose tongue is filled with the venom of the most poisonous snakes. You who do not want anything to do with me. I'm giving you all things. I'm keeping nothing from you. That's what it means to be adopted by the Father. Now, when is a person adopted? When are we, as followers of Jesus Christ, adopted by the Father? At the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Our confession says, All those that are justified, God vouchsafeth in and for His only Son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption. At the moment we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Father adopts us as His own children. He adopts us, and from that point on, sees us as He sees Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I sin. And it stinks. And I don't want to. And it's depressing. And sometimes it brings me to the, no, the brink of despair. And sometimes it can be a very hopeless thing when you try really hard and you keep on doing the same things over and over and over again. One of the, one of the reasons that I don't fall myself into the abyss of despair is that knowing that at that very moment, even when I'm at the edge, what my Father sees is Jesus Christ, not me. And in my worst, he's still my father because he sees me united to Jesus Christ. That is, that is what it means to be adopted by a father. Behold what manner of love, what kind of love the Father has given to you, that you are called the children of God. God, because he's adopted us, he's going to raise us in perfection at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, John says, Beloved, now we are children of God, 
And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know what, that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Because we are children of God, we are going to be raised in perfection at the return of Jesus Christ. We'll have fellowship with him perfectly without any barrier between us. John says, we will see him as he is, for we shall be like him. I long for the day where there's nothing between me and my Savior, where there's nothing keeping me from fellowshipping with him. Uh, Regarding marriage, Moses makes a comment at the end of Genesis chapter 2, where he says that both Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed before each other. That the relationship was marked by not having anything between them. That marriage picture works for our relationship with Christ at the last day too. There's not going to be anything between us. And we're going to see Him and our Father, and through Him our Father, as our, our Savior is, for we shall be like Him. And if that wasn't enough, there's so much more. Again, our confession says, All those that are justified, God vouchsafes in in and for His Son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties of the sons of God. What liberties are those? Freed from sin. Remember what Paul tells us? Sin no longer has dominion over us. Freed from death. Remember 1 Corinthians 15? Where is the sting of death? It's gone in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Liberty from the wrath of God. We have been saved from the wrath of God. Liberty from the law. Liberty from other people. And he continues. And enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. What are the privileges of the children of God? God's name is upon us. It is Mary Jane of God. It is Leo of God. It is Hannah of God. We all have the last name, the same last name. Because when we're adopted, we're adopted by a father into a family. And that name is upon us. We are Christians. We belong to God. That's a great privilege. The prophet reminded the people of Israel when they're forgetting that was the case. In Jeremiah 14, 9, he says, Why should you be like a man astonished, talking to God, like a mighty one who cannot save? Yet you, Lord, you, O Lord, are in in our midst. We are called by your name. Do not leave us. You have the name of God upon you. That's your identity. You have the spirit of adoption. That's another privilege of the sons of God. You have the spirit of God communing with your spirit. Letting you know that you belong to Him and enabling you to cry out, Abba, Father. Because you are a son and a daughter of God, you have access to God in prayer. Only those that belong to God can pray to Him. Remember how when the apostles, the disciples asked Jesus to to teach them how to pray? What did He tell them? Pray this way. Our Father. And that's another privilege of being a son and daughter of God. You can address him as your father, our father. Because you're a daughter, because you're a son of God, you're pitied by him. He is compassionate towards you. Psalm 
103, verse 5. As a father pities his children, so does your father pity you. You're protected. Proverbs 14 says that his children have a place of refuge. You're provided. Remember what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount? If a, a sinful father is not going to give you stones when you ask for bread, then how much more your heavenly father? You're chastened because he loves you as his children. You're secure as children. You never cast off your elder brother, Jesus Christ, says, all the fathers given to me will come to me. And I will in no wise cast them out. The Apostle Paul tells you that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, as Paul tells us. Your God grabbed you and put a stamp. You're mine. You're sealed. You're mine. There's nothing that can take you away from me. And on top of that, he made us all heirs to inherit a great promise. In 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, the apostle says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that, does, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. As a child of God, this life is the worst thing you're ever going to experience. As a child of God, this is the closest to hell you're going to ever get. Because the best is at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. A great inheritance, fellowship with Him forever, and the universe at your disposal through Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be adopted. That's what it means to be a child of God. And we live in light of our identity as a child of God. Look at what he says in verse 3 of chapter 3 of 1 John. And everyone who has this hope, do you have this hope? Do you have this hope in Jesus Christ? Is he your elder brother? Is the father your father? Are you a child of God? Do you have this hope in you? John says, who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Because of our identity as children of God, this glorious truth that we are children of God results in holy living. Now, you purify God. We purify ourselves. We live a life that is consistent with whom our Father is. We live a life consistent with our identity in as a child of God. We purify ourselves. We live in holiness. The reality of our belonging to the family of God helps us live a courageously to live courageously in this life. Look at verse 20 of, 28, excuse me, 28 of chapter 2. And now little children abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. The fact that we are a child of God helps us to live courageously and without shame at this time. Have you ever been ashamed of Christ in your life? I have. There's one, one episode in my life that, I, that uh, it, it's, it happened very early in my Christian walk. I, was, I, I went to seminary very early in my Christian walk. That was a mistake. 
not not anybody's fault. Just that was not the best thing. Um, you know, uh, I went there to learn a little Greek and a little Hebrew and to teach everything else to the professors. So it's not a good approach to to have to go to seminary. I was only nineteen, twenty when went there, and I remember uh, I had a car. A, it's called it was called a K car. It's a Dodge or a Chrysler or a Valley or something like that, and it tended to not go more than it did. And so I was always kind of left in the freeway or getting towed away. And I remember riding with a tow truck driver, and he we're riding together to the mechanic, and he asked, what do you do? And I just could not get myself to say that I was in seminary trained to be a pastor. I was just embarrassed. I was not acting as a child of God eternal. God Almighty. Because our identity as children of God allows us to live courageously and unashamed in this life. There's a freedom in being a child of God that allows us to, in a holy way, not to care what people think of us. Because that's not where we receive identity. Our identity is in Christ. And we are characterized by righteousness. Look at verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. What John is saying is that if you look at a child of God, you should see somebody who is living obedience. That's the characteristic of a child of God, is one who lives in obedience. And John does say that we will not find recognition by the world. That's the characteristic of a child of God. The world's not going to think highly of you. That's not where your praise is going to come from. That's not where your recognition is going to come from. It said there in, in, in chapter uh, 3, verse 1, Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. So you will not find recognition by the world, but that's okay. Because as a child of God, Christ is sufficient for you. You do not need the world to tell you who you are. You don't need the world to praise you. You don't need the world to tell you that you've accomplished something because you are a child of God through Jesus Christ. But I want you to, as we finish here this morning, I want you to also recognize this. God is not the father of everyone indiscriminately. He's only the father of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you have no hope in the things that I've said here today. The only thing left for you is the wrath of God and eternity in hell. Don't, don't find any comfort in what I said here. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, I want you to be in despair. You must be the most miserable person in this room because you have no hope in this life or in the life to come. While the child of God, this is the closest you get, he or she will get to hell. As one who does not believe in Jesus Christ, this is the closest you get to heaven. Because after here is judgment and eternity in separation from God. Being a child of God is not an automatic privilege granted to every person. But the simplicity of the gospel is that at this moment, you can come to faith in Jesus Christ and become a child of God. And all the things that I said here this morning become true of you. To those who believe, God becomes their father. He makes them heirs of all things with Jesus Christ. Let us pray together.
Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us into your family. Thank you that you're our father, that Jesus is our elder brother, brother, and that we are the brethren, the family of Christ. We pray that it will be true of all of us here today and strengthen us and encourage us with this truth. For asking in Jesus' name, amen.